0: Thanks for joining us on our C3 Edinburgh podcast. We really hope this message inspires and encourages you in your life with Jesus. To find out more about our welcoming and vibrant church community, please check us out online at www.c3edinburgh.com or find us on Instagram or Facebook. Keep in touch and be part of the story. Now enough from me. You've come to hear the podcast and be blessed. Every single day you make choices, and those choices change your life, or they have an impact on your life. Uh, we've, we've gone through a series, um, The Kingdom of God, Kingdom of Heaven, and we, I think we did about six, seven weeks of that, and uh, now we're into a series called In Him. I think it wraps up in the next two or three weeks, and the message that I've got to share with you this morning is, in Him we have a future, and I'm going to jump ahead of myself because... In Him, you have a future, which by implication means that outside of Him, you, you still have a future, but you don't have the future that He has in mind for you. And that's something which you just really, really need to grasp, because one of the things that we struggle with in life, and we all do, is uh, am, I full, am I living the life I'm supposed to live? Am I doing what I'm supposed to do? Every single day, you make choices. But am I living the life I'm supposed to live? I'm probably getting ahead of myself here. Socrates said the unexamined life is not worth living. We've got to have purpose in our life. We've got to know where we're going. We've got to have a roadmap for our life. And if we don't have a roadmap for our life, then every choice that we make and everything we do on a daily basis is what's it for? What's it for? Is it just to occupy our time? Or is it to fulfill the potential that God sees in us? Is it to fulfill what God has created us to be? how do you define a good life? Many people would say, well, it's a happy life. How do you define happiness? It's a life of uh, meaning. People want to make a difference. How do you define making a difference? What does that mean? I want to make a difference in my life. Is there a difference in my family, a difference in my workplace, a difference globally? Sometimes we think too small. How do we want to make a difference? What does that mean? Other people just want a safe life, a secure life. I just want some security. I don't, I don't want things to be too unsettled. I don't, think, I, I'm, I don't want things to change. I'm quite content with how they are. We just want security. But do we want to live... Just, do we want to live safe? Other people at the other extreme might want to live for adventure. It's like, no, I don't want safety. I, I, want, to, I want to do everything that the world's got to, to, on offer. I want to travel the world. I want to see the world. I want to experience the world for all it is. I want to experience all the food. I want to experience all the adventure, all the the wonders of, of, of this planet. As a bit of a sort of side note, I... I It's never, I've never understood the drive that people have to climb Everest. Makes no sense to me whatsoever. Frankly, I think it's pointless. For me, it's the epitome of an unfulfilled life, actually. Because if that is the pinnacle of your ambition, to stand on the top of the earth, then really, you're missing the point. My opinion is that it's the most selfish ambition that anybody could have because you put yourself you put every other person's life at risk in order for you for you to get to the top you you throw aside to the care of your family your loved ones for your own personal ambition to stand at the top so it's not that i i don't get it i might even go as far as to say that i don't even have respect for those people who've stood at the top of the mount mount everest Because it's meaningless. It's meaningless. If that is the pinnacle of your ambition, then then I'm sorry. Because you were created for far more than that. Is our life defined by advertising, the media, social media? I mean, nowadays it's like you know, the, the life that people are striving for is a life that we are bombarded with every single day, whether it's on Instagram or Facebook, and I hate influencers. I, 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 I hate that term, actually, because I do not want to be influenced by the superficial. I don't want to be influenced by people who are just so self-absorbed. You know, we, we used to live in a, in, a, in a tourist town where there was this picture on the wall Sorry, this bit of graffiti on the wall. And it became this sort of defining picture for the, for the town that we lived in. And you see the snapshot. You see the people in front of the bicycle, the graffiti. You see the people in front of the bicycle taking the photo in that sort of little thing. And it's like, wow. And within the frame that is that Instagram photo, there's a little square. And that person is in that moment, and it's their little moment. And it looks wonderful. It looks amazing. But as the passerby... What is it? It's a line of 40 people and a crowd of people waiting to experience that moment, to project an image of something which isn't even real. It's a lie. For what? Is that, is that, is that what we're pursuing? Is our life a bucket list, which we're checking things off, like a done that, done that, done that, done that, or I've got to jump onto the next thing. I've got to keep up. You know, I'm of an age where I just don't get, <laughs> I don't get social media. It doesn't interest me. These acronyms that they come up with, I'm like, wow, what's this mean? And then it's like, yeah, yeah, still don't get it. FOMO. What does it mean? Anybody got this? I mean, I know what it means because I had to look it up. But fear of missing out, okay? It's this is fear of missing out on the experience that someone else has lived. You know, when we, when we don't, we're not, when we're not clear, when, we're, when our life is clearly not defined and we don't know what our purpose is, then it's easy to want what somebody else has. I want that. I want what they have. The latest one apparently is YOLO. Anyone know what that is? You only live once. Wow, all right. Now, this is the other one I came across. I was like, what on earth? IRL. Do you know what that means? In real life. I'm like, what what other kind of life is there? I mean, that basically says it all. Like, we've got this life, but then we've got real life. In other words, this is fake. Thank you. This is fake. Yet, in real life, I don't get it. There's a TV advert and the guy's driving along in his car, and it's just mayhem in the marketplace, and it's like, so much confusion, you know? Choices everywhere. Then he says, don't be confused, confused beconfused.com. What does he mean by that? What he's saying is like, with all the choices that you can make, the choice to make is confused.com. It's, you know, make this one choice. And this is a problem. We have too many choices, and the, and the choices that we have actually end up. This, is, this has been. Proved, this is. There's been research on this, and um, there's a guy called Barry Schwartz. There's a TED talk, and there's a book called The Paradox of Choice. And he says, by giving people too many choices, we actually tend to diminish their happiness and their satisfaction. The more choices that you have, the less satisfied you are. And the reason being is that if I make this, it's this. Fear of, mi- well, it's, it's this fear of missing out. If I make this choice, what am I actually going to miss out on? If, if, I make, if, if I make this choice, then I miss this opportunity. And then what happens is this paralysis sets in, and we make no choices whatsoever. And then we end up being content with where we're at, just absolutely crippled in our, in, 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 where we are. That's not, what we're supposed, that's not how we're supposed to live. That's not how we're supposed to live. We're supposed to live to the fullness of Christ. We're supposed to live a life which, where we fulfill our potential. I came across a, an article about millennials, but frankly, it can apply to anyone because no one should be sort of tagged as, well, this is what this group's like. Because the reality is, I'm a, I'm a little bit older I'd like to think I was a little bit wiser, but sometimes I don't think I am. I often think to myself, I wonder if my dad was as ignorant as I am at the age that I am now, because he seemed to have it together. But I'm sure he knew more than I did. Well, I think he did. If he didn't, then he certainly gave the impression that he was wiser. But I think we all try to keep it together. (laughs) But we should be all constantly learning. The point being is that, well, anyway, we all have our issues. But what it said was, it was talking about millennials, but I, I, I feel this can apply to anyone. It says, many say that they feel depressed and overwhelmed due to all de- the decisions looming ahead of them. There's more open doors than previous generations, but this sense of freedom ends up being both a blessing and a curse. We've been told we can do anything to follow our dreams, study what interests us, and pursue what we're passionate about. But the downside is that the weight of all these choices can seem suffocating at times. We're led to believe that we should be uncomfortable unless we're completely in love with what we are presently doing. However, this mindset is quite problematic and probably responsible for the reputation of the indecisiveness and the fact that this group or this person is unable to commit to things. The main source of stress is due to the high expectations we have placed on ourselves because of the seemingly limitless choices that surround us and the fear of making the wrong choice. But we need to understand that the grass is not always greener. There will always be obstacles present no matter what decisions we make, and we should not always change paths at this first sign of difficulty. Instead of feeling anxious about all the choices ahead of us, we should be grateful we even have this many available. And this was the sentence which jumped off the page to me. We need to think carefully about what is truly worth pursuing. We need to think carefully about what is truly worth pursuing. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, I want to pursue Christ in the same way that he has pursued me. I want to lay hold of him in the same manner that he laid hold of me. And frankly, that, that, that is the answer to all our problems. That is the answer to the life's big question. The, everything starts in Him. And frankly, outside of a life of Christ, I really don't know what, I, I, what is the measure of your life. What, what do you have at the end of the day? What do they, you have at the end of your life outside of Christ? Sure, you're going to accomplish some things. Surely, Sure, you're going to do some stuff. You're going to probably get married. You might have kids. You might make some money. You'll have a house. You'll have some kind of impact. But are you going to fulfill God's potential? Are you going to fulfill God's plan and purpose in your life? Because that is the measure of your life. Whether you fulfilled what God had in, in His mind for you to do. And if you don't know what that is, that is equally suffocating, equally frustrating, equally difficult to handle. But it's found in Him. If you have been, had, or if you've had a faith for any period of time, you know that the closer we are to God, the clearer these things become. It's, you know. It talks about in, in John 15, abide in me. Abide in me. Stay close to me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me, you'll bear fruit. Besides me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And that's the reality, actually. We can do stuff in our lives, but what meaning do they have? What's it for? To get richer, to get more status, to get more position, to have more influence, I mean real influence. I won't name names in this, you know, these, these will be names that we would know that some of the richest people in the world, I don't know if they have a faith, I know they have money, but what are they doing with the influence that they have? What are they doing with the money that they have? Outside of God's plan and purpose for their life, it, it's meaningless, it's meaningless, and I think we can look on and we can see the potential. If only that could be put to a good cause. If only that could be used for his glory, or for his kingdom, to bring restoration. At the end of the day, that is the plan. It's to restore all things to him. Bring back this creation. Bring back this world to, the, to his original intent. Bring people back into fellowship with God so they're not outside, so they're not living without purpose, they're not living for themselves. What is it that causes someone to move halfway around the world? Fundamentally, it's a sense of purpose. It's a sense that I need to be there in order to fulfill what... I have in my heart to do. Now, I know these people have a faith in Christ, so I would like to think that the reason why they are here is because I am, I've moved from Canada to the UK in order to fulfill what God had, has in his mind to fulfill in my life there. But what, what does it take to do that? What does it take to do that? Ultimately, it's faith. It's faith that it takes to do that. Because I'm sure you could have probably stayed in Canada. There's a good Bible theological colleges in, in Canada. Sure there is. Yeah. There's, it's, there's, place, there's, there's other places. There's, you could be elsewhere. You could be in Australia. You could be in Papua New Guinea. But you're here because that is God's plan for your life. I'd like to think. Yes? You're not here by accident. No? No. You're not here by accident. You might be thinking to yourself right now, well, well, how, how do I know what God's Ga- Ga- plan is? I wish you just, you know, it'd be great, like, it, like, um, you know, you have, you have a car. Nowadays, we use GPS. Actually, I think I like GPS. It's wonderful, but it only tells you where you are, really, all right? Unless you kind of screw, unless you kind of, you know, put your hand on the thing and sort of you know, sc- scroll out, whatever the word is, you know, expand the page and see where, you are, where that little dot is in the sort of big picture. So GPS is great to tell you where you are, but it doesn't necessarily, te- I mean, it- yes, it'll tell you where you're going, but at any moment in time, it'll only show you a little screen as to where you are at that very, very moment. Now, the wonderful thing is, I've actually, I've got a, a road atlas in the back of my car, <laughs> all right? We had this conversation around about New Year. Before we got in the car to go to Glencoe, someone said, oh, yo, know, we used to have a map back in the day. You know, who uses maps nowadays? And I go, well, actually, I've got a map. I'm like, well, who buys a map? Well, I bought a map. Because it's nice, the, re- the good thing about a map is that you can see where you are and you can see where, you were go- where you're going. Maps are fantastic, you know. And wouldn't it be great if God was to just drop this life plan out of the sky which was like a road atlas where we can see where we are and where we're going to go. We can see our destination. But the reality is it's not like that. It's actually more like an OS map where you will get the information. An OS, every Ordnance Survey Ordnance survey map, those pink things or orange things that you get. And I don't know how many maps there are for the UK. There's probably, I don't know, 300, 400. And they overlap a little bit. But you lay them out, and what you see is the whole of the UK. It's wonderful. And the detail of these maps is absolutely fantastic. You can pretty much locate yourself to, I don't know, 30 meters or something like that by grid reference. So you can tell where you are on a map. And it'll show you the detail for your location. Probably, I don't know what the span of a map is, I don't know, 20 kilometers west, east-west, then I don't know, 10, 15 kilometers north-south, I don't know. But you can find yourself in that map, right? But what happens when you get to the edge of that map? You have to get another map, right? With, and this is what often happens in our life. We, we want the big picture. We want to see everything, but we don't see the. But when you get the big, big roadmap, you don't see the detail, and that can be equally frustrating. To have the big picture of what God wants you to do can be as frustrating as not having any information at all. Because if I was to say to you, God has called you to. Let's just be incredibly vague. God has called you to Asia. Wow, that's big picture. But I need a little bit more detail than that. And that detail is found in that individual map. But it's got edges. There's boundaries to it. But it only shows me this much. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. And it takes faith to go to the edge of that map. And what happens? You need another map. You need more, you need more revelation. And this is what our life is like. This is this is the pattern of our life. We want the whole thing in one go, but in reality, God takes us in steps. God takes us in steps of faith. And why is that? Because without faith, it is impossible to please him. Whoever comes to God must believe that he is, and he's a reward of those that diligently seek him. When we get everything that just dropped on our lap and given to us easily. So it's human nature is that, well, I don't, I don't need any more of God. Thank you. I've got all of this. I can do this on my own right now. I can get from A to B. You've given me enough, but we don't have the detail. What happens, we sung about this this morning, what happens when suffering comes along? And let's, well, let's say hardship. In Second Timothy, Paul talks about hardship, but in some translation, it talks about suffering. And if we go back to this, there's some of these comments on millennials, and if we're looking for just for a comfortable life, and when discomfort comes, and hardship comes, and suffering comes, we sometimes define that as well. Well, I must be doing the wrong thing. I must be doing the wrong thing because it's now uncomfortable. The reality in my life over the, let's see, fifty-one years that I've been alive. Okay, first, however, when I was a kid, didn't experience much. I mean, the choices I made didn't impact my life because I didn't have an opportunity to make choices. But the point I'm trying to make is this. When I had the capacity to make choices and I made those choices, discomfort came, hardship came. It's, we don't pursue an easy life. We pursue God's life for us. We walk into His plans and His purposes And there is discomfort, and it is awkward, and it is difficult. And what do we do? As the song said, we kiss the waves that throw us on the rock. I had a little bit of a revelation about this morning. I mean, we sing these songs. It's like I kiss the waves. What does that that mean? What does that mean? What does it? We kiss the waves. If you get hammered, if you've ever been in the surf and you get hammered by a wave, and it will literally, it will pick you up and you feel completely out of control, and it will, if it's on a sandbar, thankfully, it might just bang you off the sand. It might throw you on the, spit you out on the beach. You do not want to be slammed into the rock. You do not want to be slammed into the rock at all. But do we embrace the difficulties? Do we embrace those hardships, or do we shun them? Are we constantly looking for an easy life, or are we looking for a a life that experiences the fullness of God. John 10:10 10, 10 says, you know, I have come the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. I've come to give you life and life more abundantly, or life to the full, or life until it overflows. I can say that I've lived a life which is overflowing, but it's not a life that has been easy. But in all the discomfort and all those difficulties what has happened is driven me back to God. It's, driven, it's, it's, it's shown my weakness. It's shown my inabilities. It's shown my, show me who I am. And I, you come to the revelation that I can't do this. It's like Paul said, please, will you just stop this? I can't take it anymore. And God says, my grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient for my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, will I be thankful for my weaknesses. Therefore, will I be thankful for the persecution so that Christ's power may rest on me. The times where I've literally come to the end of myself are the times when God has done the greatest things in my life. And that's what he wants to do in your life as well. When you come to the end of yourself and you let go and you will embrace discomfort and hardship and Suffering, a word we don't use that much in the West. In fact, I won't go there. We sometimes define a good Christian life as a life without suffering, a life without difficulty, but that's not what God's plan is. He he has something in his mind, and along that road is going to be discomfort. That's not necessarily what he wants for you. That's just the reality of this life. You have a story to tell, and... We all have a story to tell, but I want us to understand that the story we tell is not a sequence of events. A sequence of events is useless. If I was to tell you my life story, it's it's not about, well, I was was born here, then I went to school here, then I moved to here, then I lived here, and then we had a son, and then we moved to this place, and then we came back, and then we moved there. Our life story is a sequence of events It's boring. In fact, it's, it's irrelevant. It's, it's forgettable. What is the purpose of our life story? In all of these things, is what did you learn in that moment? In in and how was God revealed in that? What did you learn about yourself in that moment? What did you learn about God? I can tell you I moved to Bangkok. Yes, we lived in Bangkok. There you go. We lived in Bangkok. Check. M- might forget that. Might remember it. But if I was to tell you it was one of the most difficult moves we ever made, and one of the most transformational experiences we ever had, why? Because we went from living in a tiny little town in Wales of I don't know 100,000 to a mega city of officially 10 million, but probably unofficially 15 million. Not speaking the language, it dropped. Then just going from having some kind of status and grip on how to communicate in our little comfort zone which was South Wales at the time to being dropped into this mega city where we are useless. Where our language abilities are zero and even in a short period, well in fact our language never got particularly good, in fact it was it was terrible, right? It was really, really bad. When we moved to the next place we learned language again, We get we reached a level of fluency but The reality is probably as fluent as a six-year-old child. You can have a conversation with a six-year-old and have a very, very good conversation with a six-year-old. But in terms of concepts and nuances and heart issues and whatever, can a six-year-old really, really convey those things that an adult can? No, they can't. And it's difficult. And what did we learn? We learned that... We can do so much, but it's going to take God. It's going to take God. God wants to do something through us, and God wants to do something through you. And he's looking for you. He's looking for humility. He's looking for us to humble ourselves, to become like a servant, just as Christ did.
1: What are we here for?
0: We watched Kung Fu Panda. Well, my wife and I watched Kung Fu Panda the other night. Love that film. It's a great film. And it starts out with him having this dream. Well, we don't know it's a dream. It's just like, I can't remember what he's always saying. It's awesome, awesomeness. And he's just going about and he's uh, he's just doing this kung fu stuff, and he's kicking ass, you know, and he's doing, can I say that? I don't know, but well, I just did. Anyway, so he's just completely going off, and he's just been this absolute superhero. And then he gets awakened out of this dream. That's like, oh, wait a minute. And his dad, who's this crane, who's obviously not his dad, but anyway. But his, his dad says to him, have you, had, have you had the dream? You've had the dream? You've had the noodle dream. No, he hasn't had the noodle dream. Because what? why has he not had the noodle dream? His dad wants him to have the, the noodle dream. But he knows that his destiny is far greater than selling noodle soup. He knows that his destiny is to be something phenomenal. Isn't it? And I think inside of us, we know that our destiny is to do something absolutely phenomenal, far greater than what we can do right now. And we should not be limited by our, whatever the word is. I'm not going to get hung up on that. And so what happens is, you know, the dragon scroll thing's going to go off. And, you know, he's, he wants to get to the, to the top of the, you know, that temple shrine, whatever you want to call it. And he goes up and he climbs, climbs up the steps. But his dad makes him take the noodle cart with him. Wonderful opportunity. <laughs> so noodle. I love noodles, by the way. I'm going to have noodles after this, by the way love noodles, but anyway, so he pushes the cart to the top of the hill, but he doesn't make it in through the door, but attaches fireworks to his little car, and ends up in, and he gets pointed at, and he's the, he's going to be the dragon warrior, yeah, he's going to be the dragon warrior, also, everyone tells him that he is not the dragon warrior, everyone, even he's like, even he doubts it, because he knows himself, but the I don't know what the turtle's called, but he says, there are no accidents. There are are no accidents. There are no accidents. You literally are that dragon warrior. You can fulfill that destiny that God has for you. He's going to take you, and he's going to change you, and he's going to mold you, and he's going to make you into whoever you need to be in order to fulfill what he has in mind for your life. But it's not like it's, it's not like you don't have a choice. It's not like he's going to impose that on you. But the, what I want you to understand is: Do you want to live a mediocre life? Do you want to live the life that God has in mind for you, or do you want to live the life that you have in mind for yourself? Because given the choice between the two, is Everest as great as is the greatest achievement you want on this earth? I use that as an example because for some people it is. Because if that is, the, if that is the pinnacle of success, then you're selling yourself short. You have no idea, maybe at this moment in time, what God has in mind for you. Really. There's a film, I don't recommend you watch it necessarily, but there's some fantastic quotes on it. It was filmed in Edinburgh, and actually in the titles at the beginning, they have the church that we were married in. And it's train spotting. Well, it was a book, Train Spotting, by Irvin Welsh, and it was made into a film. And there's a quote in there, I'll skip one word. He goes, We start off with high hopes, then we bottle it. We realise that we're all gonna die without really finding out the big answers. We develop all these long-winded ideas which just interpret the reality of our lives in different ways without really extending our body of worthwhile knowledge about the big things, the real things. Basically, we live a short, disappointing life and then we die. We fill our lives with things like careers and relationships to delude ourselves that it isn't all totally pointless. For many, that's the truth. For many, that's the truth. We start off with high hopes and then we bottle it. I tell you, don't bottle it. The dream that you have inside you, don't bottle it. There's no reason for you to. There's no reason for you to think any less of yourself or, and think you cannot do it. You can. In Acts chapter 17, I probably put, gave some verses. I don't know. Well, I did actually, but... <laughs> in Acts chapter 17, Paul turns up in Athens and... The philosophers of the day, the thinkers of the day, they like to talk. They like to gather every single day. And even says the res well, it says the, well, I'll paraphrase. The residents spent their time doing nothing but talking about the latest issues. It's easy to talk about stuff. and And that's what they enjoy doing, hanging around in the marketplace, hanging around just talking about stuff. And Paul comes along and he sees this shrine and it says to an unknown God. There's many, many shrines in the place, but he sees the shrines to an unknown God. And he gets up and he preaches, and I'm sure that's not all the message that was recorded, but some of the message was recorded in the book of Acts. And it says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven. He gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made every nation. He determined the times set for them so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. For in him we live and move and have our being. The answer to the question of life is actually in that message. He determined the times set before them. Inside of you, you have a sense that there's something bigger than what you're living right now. In Ecclesiastes, it says he's set eternity in our hearts. He set eternity in our hearts. And the purpose of that, it tells us that so that we would seek him, perhaps reach out for him and find him. Seek him, reach out for him and find him. You can have a sense of something in your heart, but still not search for God. You can look for it elsewhere. You can look for it in relationships, you can look for it in a career, you can look for it in, in money, a whole bunch of different things. But the answer is in is in Christ. You know, one of the passages that we all love and we pray over people, some prophesy over people, is that oh, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. We've probably written it in the front of your Bible, or you've had it written in a card or something probably maybe even written in a card before you went from one stage of life to another stage of life, maybe before you left home or something, before you started studying. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Is it conditional or is that just an absolute? No. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. I'm going to run out of time, as I always do. In him, you have a future. In him, you have a future. Yes, he has plans for you. Yes, he has a future for you. But it's for you to discover. He's not going to A map isn't going to drop out of the sky. It wouldn't be helpful. In fact, you would probably find it terrifying, actually. In an earlier part of my life, I was probably about 16, 17, I had someone prophesy over me. And there's times when people prophesy. I don't know whether you've, okay, you might have had people prophesy, not prophesy, but somebody prophesied over me. I've had prophecy of I had people pray or speak over me, and it's been like, yeah, that's nice. That all sounds good, and yeah, I'll I'll take some of that. And then I've had times where it's literally been like a sledgehammer in the middle of my chest, and I felt like my knees have wanted to buckle, and I felt like I'd want to take off running because the things that have said have hit me, it's like it's resonated with if I can go back to myself, he he's set eternity in my heart. He, he's put something inside of me. It's resonated in such a way that something has literally gone off. And the magnitude of it has been so big that at my level of maturity, at the stage of my life, I've, I've thought to myself, I can't do that, and I don't want that. The reality is, no, you can't do it. You'll never be able to do it in your own strength. That's the the first thing to to take hold of. You will not ever be able to do what God has called you to do in your own strength. Don't ever think that you will be able to do it in your own strength. It'll only get you so far. And the fruits or the results of your life will be that much as opposed to that much. You'll accomplish some things, but as long as you rely on your own strength, it's going to, fall short. But yeah, but there's been times where those words have literally just gone off inside of me. I want to encourage you that to seek Him and be found by Him and find Him because you will... (laughs) He's not trying to withhold something from you. He's not trying to veil it. In fact, a portion of it might be veiled because if you, could, if you could see all of it, you would take off running. You would be terrified and you probably should be terrified. Who wants to know ahead of time maybe the hardships and the suffering and everything else that they're going to experience? Or even the good things that they might experience. Sometimes we don't have the capacity or the maturity to be able to handle this and God will reveal as much as we can handle at any, period, at any moment in time. I wasn't going to get to 2 Timothy. Well, optimistically, I wasn't going to get to 2 Timothy. In reality, there was no hope of actually getting there because uh, it's just too much. But I think 2 Timothy, correct me if I'm wrong, Scott, but was it one of the last letters that Paul wrote to, if not the... Yeah, it's the last letter, the last letter. And when you read it, it's, it's very much a, it's, I wasn't saying Eli, Elijah, Elijah, Elijah Elisha kind of thing, but if you don't have the context of that, it doesn't really matter. What it was, it, it's, it's a wiser, older mentor passing on the baton, passing on the mandate or the mantle to a younger man, significantly younger in the sense that not at the same level of ministry, not at the same level of maturity, not at the same level of revelation. But he says to him, fan into flame that gift. You, I am sure that every single one of you inside in this room has a sense of a gifting, a sense of an inclination as to what God wants to do through you. But the magnitude of it is it's just like, not yet. Or no thank you. He talks, tells him to be, have self-discipline. Tells him to guard it. Tells him to be strong in the grace. Tells him to endure hardship and suffering. Tells him to be a workman approved. In other words, develop that skill set. Be excellent at what you do flee the evil desires of youth, grow up, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, be kind, continue in what you have learned, preach the word, be ready all the time, correct, rebuke, encourage, keep your head, endure hardship and suffering again, do the work of an evangelist, I'd encourage you to actually read Second Timothy because in, in some ways that, that is a roadmap for, for discovering what God's plan and purpose is for your life. He talks about, you know, be like the soldier. Be disciplined. In, be disciplined. Or be like the soldier. You know, follow, just do as you're told. Or the, the, the soldiers of that day came, often came out of, Low status positions, we're used to hard work and used to suffering and used to hardship and used to just like a really difficult life. And it's like, you know what, have that same mentality. Just stick at it to the point of death actually. That's what, you know, a soldier puts his life on the line. Be like an athlete, compete by the rules. In other words, the self-discipline, you just don't turn up to the race and think I'm gonna, yeah, I'll give it a shot today, see what happens, no. An athlete, an athlete is one who has disciplined himself and taken himself to a pinnacle of of what is physically possible so that he can win the prize. And he talks about the farmer, you know, he, he says at the end of the passage, you know, trying to, in other words, he writes, and I'm sure that in the manner of his writing, he's like, you know what? We had this conversation before, so just think about it again, will you? And this is what he effectively says. You know, think about the athlete. Think about, think about the farmer. Think about the, the, the... Sorry, think about the soldier. Think about the athlete. Think about the farmer. And he says he's the first to receive the crops. What does that mean? What does it, what does it mean to be the first to receive the crops? What it means is before you start expecting a harvest in other people's life, before you start preaching, then have the evidence of the crops in your own, of your own life. Let's see the harvest in your own life first. Have the discipline to have the harvest in your life first. I've more or less run out of time. God has a plan for you. Your future is in Him, and you will discover His plan for your life the closer you are to Him. It's a sequence of choices. Every day you have thousands of choices that you can make. But we need to ask ourselves in every single thing we do, every single day, in what way am I bringing glory to God? In what way am I bringing people closer to the kingdom? In what way am I manifesting the kingdom of God in my life? In what way is the good news of the gospel impacting this world? Second Corinthians chapter 5, we've been given this ministry of reconciliation. In what way are my daily choices? In what way is my daily life bringing people closer to God? You can be serving coffee. You can be caring for people as a medic. You can be teaching people as a teacher. You could be doing any number of things. In what way is your life bringing people closer to God? In what way is your life bringing the kingdom of God into their world?